Welcome to the CCUPC Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we connect Sunday to the rest of the week. And we are glad to have you here. I am Pastor Dina. And I'm Pastor James. And we are going to be talking about our sermon and um, worship subjects from this past week from Romans chapter 1. And so uh, there was a lot in there. Just a bit. Yeah, just a, just a few things, but... Have you ever seen the Grand Canyon? It's it's just a big hole in the ground. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of like that. Um, but we, we welcome you today and are excited to, to dig into it as the, the gospel continues to go out. And uh, we see the way that, that our theology is being shaped and the early church is being shaped for better and for worse. And so... Um, yeah, so uh, Romans 1, 1 through 17, a lot of famous passages in there. One that transformed Martin Luther's life, actually. Um, so uh, some some very rich, rich uh, teaching in here. And what were some of the things that, that you heard in there? What were some of the things that really stuck out to you in, in this week's passage, Pastor Dina? I think the biggest, as I look over my notes, the biggest thing that over um, overarches all of it is the idea of sharing our stories and sharing what God is doing in our lives in a way that it will will shape others and we've been talking about discipleship and and this is all a part of that um, and so a lot a lot to think about and a lot to unpack when it comes to sharing our stories and one thing I have a big star by is that you can't share your story until you're aware of it. And so perhaps our first step is to start training ourselves to to see the way God is at work in our lives. And and sometimes that looks like, oh, yay, I got the close parking spot when I was running late. And certainly God is in that. But I think as we work at that more, as we open our eyes more, it, it becomes more real. It becomes less surface and more introspective. Oh, look at the way that that God's been teaching me patience. Look at the way God has been teaching me to not depend on myself. Look at the way that um that I see the spirit guiding my steps even when when things are unsure or it's not a direction I thought I would go kind of thing. Uh, but to really be thinking for ourselves about about that for our own lives and and to be clear about that and to to be processing through those things internally and with God before we can use them as tools to help other people navigate these same roads. I'm glad that you bring this up because it's a it's a topic that we don't talk a lot about. Nowhere in our lives, do we receive a course on how to tell our spiritual story? Mm-hmm. You know, there's no discussion, you know, there's no college class unless you go to a, a Grove City or a Geneva, I imagine. Um, but there's there's nothing that instructs us in how do we look back over our history and see the history of God's faithfulness, the goodness of God in our lives. And that becomes a very, very difficult thing because no one likes to be a beginner. Mm-hmm. The older we get, the more uncomfortable we get with with being bad at something. I think. 
Yeah. Because we don't want to sound like the idiot in the room. <laughs> but um, but we haven't taught people really how to go back over their their faith story. And as I was listening to the sermon from this past week, one of the things that I thought, once again, the, you know, the practical is that I was telling people, you know, you might have a story that someone else needs to hear. Mm-hmm. But how do we tell those stories? And and I didn't have time to get into that, but I, I have a list of questions. And, and actually, if you go to the, the CCUPC newsletter, if you receive that, if you don't, go to the website and, and sign up for it on the website. But um, I have a list of questions that that kind of help us to look back over that. You know, and it's very simple questions, really. When did you start following Jesus? What are your first memories of God being present and or active in your life? Because those can be two different things. Mm -hmm. You know, what were the major milestones of your life before that point where you now see that God was working in your life before you were consciously aware of his presence? Um, How long did the journey from being becoming acquainted with Jesus to being a full follower take. These are all aspects of our story. Um, for some people, what, uh, you know, what was the final straw that put you over the edge to, to faith? What was, you know, what was your life like before and after that conversion? Cause for some people it's a dramatic change for some people. It's a, it's a slow cooker change. Yeah. I might add to that list. Like when did you realize that you were following Christ or you had encountered Christ, whether it was a, a, a one specific moment or when did, when did you say, Oh, look at, look at what these past six weeks or six months or six years have, have brought me to like, this is, this is who I am now. Um, this is how I'm interacting as a person of faith now that is different than this other point in time when I was not. For me, that looked like growing up into the faith. And I remember my confirmation and I remember feeling like a grown up at that point because that's what the, you know, that's what the church tells us we are and realizing, oh, holy cow, like this is something I'm doing. This is something I'm choosing for myself. And again, it wasn't one specific moment, but but throughout that time in my life, in my home church, we made our confirmation in ninth grade. And so, you know, that whole eighth grade, ninth grade, moving from middle school to high school, when we're figuring so many things out anyway, um, <laughs> that was, few. yeah, just a few. Um, that was a big part of it for me and realizing I'm claiming being a person of faith as, as my identity, as, as an identity for myself. Looking back at my life, um, and and all of this ties to, to to Romans. Let me give you a little aside here, because because Paul does talk about how uh, you know he is encouraged because the faith of the Romans is being reported all across the world, and he means, of course, all across the Roman world in in that statement. But um, and then he wants to be mutually encouraged, and these stories of faith really do mutually encourage people. As I look back over mine, mine is much more of a slow cooker thing, mm-hmm. and it was and it's difficult because if you've been raised in the church and you hear the some of these powerful stories of conversion, you're like, wow, I. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's the temptation to think, well, I, I never did drugs and I wasn't doing this and I wasn't doing that, so eh, my conversion story seems 
boring by comparison. It does. And it's so it's my, my conversion story, maybe not a slow cooker. Let me compare it to this. It's like driving across Iowa on interstate (laughs) 80. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot of ground to cover and there are some mile markers along the way Mm -hmm. that give you reference point. Um, you, you keep going. A lot of it seems the same, but there's a lot of change that happens along the way. And so for me, it was, yes, growing up in the church, but, um, you know, God's provision in looking after me after my father died, mm-hmm. uh, when my mom had cancer for the first time, those happened four years apart from each other. Um, when I was involved in a ministry called Bible quizzing and learning Actually, this is where I came to love the book of Romans. Mm. Uh, did a lot of memorizing of Romans, actually. Um, and even into college where my home pastor had, or my home church had a new pastor who really um, took me and mentored me um, all the way through. And so it was this progression of milestones. Um, and so mine would look more like a roadmap than an explosion. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, and as you said, there are certain certain points along the way that I can point to to say this was significant, this was significant. Some of them I knew in the moment. Some of them I only knew, know now by looking back at them. The the true significance of them. Um, but it but it's interesting because we both pointed to different ways that people come to faith or come to to. Um, to be a person of faith, uh, to have a, a relationship with Jesus. And, and it, so that's a good reminder that, that there really aren't patterns in all of this, that, that my story is, is my story. And that goes for my conversion as well as, as my sanctification, my discipleship, the way I'm growing and changing. Like it's my, my story. It's authentic to me but you can't follow the same exact steps and arrive in the, the same yeah. place that, that we live such vastly different lives. Our stories are examples, that, not models. Yeah. Yeah. That, and, and that's the thing. Um, you know, that the, the gospel gets worked out practically in our lives in much, much different ways. And that's, that's helpful because we can use that. We can be killed by comparison when we're mm-hmm. like, Oh man, the people who are delivered in one one fell swoop from X, Y, and Z. But when you look at a story that has gone across time, it is no less impressive. The grace of God is no less impressive. Yeah, it just takes longer for us to see it, and yeah. that's not a fault of of God's grace. It's a fault of our vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we can't compare snapshots of other people's lives to what we know, the intimacy with which we know our own lives. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned as we were preparing for this, a story from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia reminding us that we, we don't get to see other people's stories in their fullness. And so a snapshot gives me a touch point, but it doesn't, it doesn't show me how someone has grown or how, how the spirit has been at work before and after this one event that that I'm privileged to get to hear about or see. Yeah. So the you know there is a need for us to to share our stories. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is, I referenced it in the sermon a couple times, The uh, actually another of Lewis's screw tape letters, uh, the fact that, you know, you don't have to make people evil to, to harm the church. You just have to make them silent. And yeah. so, um, you know, if, if all we have to do is just remain silent, that that's all that has to happen to silence the stories of faith and witness, which encourage and strengthen and grow the church. But we need to be doing that. And so as we think about that, you know, there, there are still ways that as we prepare our stories that we can go off track. You know, one of the good questions that, that you um, posed is, you know, who's the hero of your mm-hmm. story? And to be suspect, if the hero of our story is actually us. Yeah. Yeah. We, as we share, we have to make sure that we're sharing, we're sharing to meet the needs of the person we're sharing with, the person we're discipling, the person we're in relationship with. And we're not sharing to meet our own needs of affirmation or, um, or, for advice that we're not, we're not turning something else. We're not turning it back to ourselves. We're not making ourselves the we're not hero making, or the center of attention or whatever. Or we're not making our, our listeners, our therapist. Right. Right. Which, you know, anyone who's ever done any kind of group discussion ever knows what we're talking about, that, that it's exhausting when someone uses the, the question of someone else to process through all their own stuff or to, or the flip side to brag about how great they did at when they were facing that question. Well, when I was your age, I, you know, which is you know, the quickest way to get anyone who is a, of a different age to shut right down and <laughs> to um, not listen. Because as we said, you know, there is no pattern for this. There is no model that that is guaranteed steps other than looking to Christ who is the model uh, in all of this? Yeah. So the so Paul, a good example of this is Paul talking about the fact that that you know he wants to share some spiritual gift with them to make them strong, strong in order that that they may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And I mentioned in the sermon the fact that that Paul doesn't know what that gift is quite yet mm-hmm. because he doesn't know them well enough. Which means our stories have to be tailored, and our our discipleship has to be individually tailored. Has to fit like a like a, a well tailored suit to us. Otherwise, it it can it can fall flat. It can fall on deaf ears. It could even turn someone off to the gospel because we have been tone deaf to who they are. Yeah, you mentioned that in the the sermon, kind of right off the bat, that Paul is sensitive to his audience and we drew a comparison between the way he shared the gospel um, in the the passage from two weeks ago versus this week when he was sharing two weeks ago, it was not a Jewish audience. And so he did not appeal to his Jewish heritage this week. He did. He, he was aware of his audience and what would be helpful for them to hear. And I think that's the biggest piece of advice we can take to heart when we are thinking about how we share our faith, when we're thinking about how we can engage in mission, how we change the world, like know your audience, know what they need and 
and then allow the fruit of the spirit to shape the way you share. And I'm especially thinking of, of patience that not everything needs to be shared right away and self-control and maybe, you know, the idea that, that maybe this aspect of my story is not helpful here. And so I, this isn't something to put on this other person right now. And, and it looks like relationship. It looks like getting to know one another and to investing in our lot in each other's lives. It looks like spending time on the, the surface things to allow the deeper things to open up so that we can know what someone needs or where someone is struggling or where we could speak into that. I want to address one thing that I'm thinking here as, as you're talking about that, because the question could come up then, when do I tell my story? Like if I haven't done this, what do I do then? And what I want to say is that if you're saying, you know, I don't know that I've actually processed through my story. This is a good time to be open with someone and say, you know, I'm thinking about my story and I really need someone to be a sounding board and to, to approach a person who is known to be mature in the faith, known Mm -hmm. to be strong in the faith, mature in outlook, and to ask them to process with you and to help you, you know, tell that story and, and understand and unpack what that then means for your life. You know, that can be a pastor, that can be elders, those could be a trusted friend, but you want to make sure that they are someone who is, is really strong in the faith someone who who understands the grace of Christ deeply so that they 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 are tender and sensitive to your story and can help you in the difficult parts of it and so i i wanted to address that because we can think then well how do i even get started yeah it it i think i think we get started by in some ways just starting and and mm-hmm identifying steps and and seeking out those relationships knowing that discipleship isn't just a one-way downhill kind of thing that the the wiser person discipling the the person who has less experience or or is younger in age or or whatever um whatever qualification you want to use that that it's two ways that that even by sharing your story with someone who is well-grounded in the faith, there's discipleship taking place there too, and they're going to learn from you, and you're going to learn from them. And that's the beautiful thing about discipleship, that that we constantly have work to do, and we constantly have ways that we're, we're growing, and we can affirm that about each other. I mean, I, I know quite often I'll say, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, but your example of XYZ is an inspiration to me. And I want to be like you when I grow up, um, that that we can identify in others places where we're still being called to grow and change and be shaped because we none of us have it all right. Most of us are, you know, feel like we're barely scraping by some days in terms yep. of, of faith stuff. And so we constantly need that that challenging and encouragement that other people bring, whether they're brand new to the faith or whether they've been doing doing it for years and years it gets harder as you get older because as we get older we we don't want to look like we don't have it all together or we don't want to look like we have been in the church for x number of years and wait you're you're just at this level and and 
that, that again, that's just a, a, a tactic of silencing us yeah. that we want to be aware of. And it's okay because any of us who have gone through life and are solid in Christ know that it's a journey and it's full of setbacks and it's full of difficulty. And that's why Paul is, you know, have you take Paul. He is the, the apostle to the Gentiles. He, he corrected Peter. You know, uh, I can think of one other person who is, who corrected Peter, Jesus. <laughs> and, and here is Paul saying that I want to be mutual. I want us to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. He is willing to say, I, I can, I can be strengthened by you. I can be encouraged by you. I need to hear what you have to say. Like you said, it's not just a one way street, but it's two way running here. And, and Paul is absolutely willing. And so to get over that fear, we want to make sure that we are um, connecting with people who are mature and, and and not being and saying, you know, in Christ, this is okay because he died for me. He wants me to take this step. Yeah. And I think that first step too doesn't necessarily have to go all the way back to the beginning well when I was 14 years old and making my confirmation that we can we can start with where we are now and and talking through with someone where we feel the Holy Spirit now where we see Jesus now in the things we're dealing with and and then let it filter backwards and forwards but we don't have to have our entire life story worked out and tied up with a nice little bow that that maybe sharing our story talks about what it feels like what it's feeling like to register your kid for kindergarten and where is God in the midst of that with education systems in our country and and fear and and excitement and letting go and holding on and um, or whatever you know whatever you're you're experiencing right in this moment you can start with that moment and start to identify where God is in the midst of that and talk through that with other people going through it too and 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 use that as a starting board. So sometimes I know for me sometimes I feel like if I don't have it all worked out then it's senseless to even start. But again, I think that's just another way of silencing us and and keeping us from moving at all and fe- then feeling like we're trapped and, and I'm no good at this and who would want to even hear my story anyway kind of things. Sadly, too many of those statements, and 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 I have worked with uh, um, people just of every age, who you know, and it's typically the people who have been in the, in the church the longest, who will say, "Why is it that I'm now just this age and understanding God's grace or what the Bible means?" And I, and my response is, "That doesn't bother me. Don't let it bother you." Because you do understand more of the depth of God's grace. And praise God for that. Yeah, and that's what it means to grow. I, I mean, I hope in in 20 years I understand more deeply and differently God's grace than I do now. I certainly know that I understand it more now than I did 20 years ago. So I, I think I I kind of mentioned to you before we were starting that Sometimes I think the chicken soup for the soul stories and the the Christian movies have done for our faith walk what rom-coms have 
done for romantic <laughs> relationships. They've just shifted our expectations and our our perspectives. And we need to remember that those aren't real life, that, that God isn't working in in snapshots and not working in nice little hour and 20 minute blocks. Yeah. And, and that things aren't linear. Growth isn't linear. It's not neat. It's, you know, we, our, our map, our, our growth map is going to loop and turn back on itself. And we're going to slide down slopes in some places, even while we're soaring in others that, that it's okay to be in the midst of, this strange, messy discipleship, sanctification, growth because that's real. That's that's how life happens. And that brings up a, a good point that that Paul puts in front of the Romans, where he he says that they're they're loved by God and called to be saints, called to be His holy people. And that is a phrase that I I believe wholeheartedly that we struggle with. That most people are, are hear that and say, you know, I can be a good person. Mm-hmm. I can file my taxes on time. I can mostly not be a jerk on the road. <laughs> I can um, let hold the door for other people. I can be a good person. But this whole idea of called to be holy, that's something that's, that's just a level that I didn't sign up for. I, I'm not, I'm not holy. I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm not... You know, and we start rationalizing in our head, but that's not the call of the gospel. Yeah, we we talked about that a couple weeks ago or last week. Are we interested in in right behavior or in lives that have been radically changed by Jesus Christ? You know, if we're just interested in behavior, then then we train people the the same way they've you know trained dogs and and cats to look for the treat when the bell rings and and that sort of thing that that behavior is fine and and often an expression of our lives but we're we're interested in so much more than that which is so much richer so much deeper and so much messier than do this don't do that kind of behavior yeah, that's that's identity transformation, and it's instead of behavior modification. Mm-hmm. And and I know we've talked about that before, but it bears repeating because we are so we are naturally averse to identity formation because when someone tells us that hey, change this behavior, we can still maintain a sense of ourself. We can maintain a sense of our own identity, and and that that's not been. You know, I'm not a bad person. I just need to, you know, I, I just need to clean this up mm-hmm. in my life. Whereas when when we talk about identity transformation, it means that something way down deep at the core of me is wrong. And that, I think, is one of our deep-seated fears. Um, and I think it's a, it, I think it's actually a natural outworking of the fall where, yeah. where we do feel that loss of connection with the holy for which we were created. Yeah. And so what happens is we are afraid of someone naming that where, where I actually fundamentally have something wrong with myself that needs to be corrected because I know that I just can't take that on myself. 
Whereas that's not what the gospel, you know, the gospel says that, yes, you do have that, that fundamental deficiency, that fundamental flaw deep in your identity, but it is overcome through Christ at the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our own pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. Yeah. And, and we, we have come up with so many coping mechanisms, behavior modifications to make us feel better about that feeling of disconnection. And I think that's the root of why we would, we really like defining things clearly this and not that, you know, a Christian doesn't do this. A Christian does do that. A Christian does say these words. A Christian does not say these words that, that we've come up with all these ways to make ourselves feel better about the disconnect that we feel deeply inside that, that we lost sight of, of what our true goal is. And that's one of the things that, that cut got cut from this sermon is there was so much that there is far more that got cut from this sermon than, than exists. But one of the things in verse seven to all in Rome who are loved by God, you know, that, that sounds like a, just a, you know, we can trip over that phrase very nicely, but the word that's used there is actually those who are dearly loved. Mm -hmm. It's a very intensely personal, uh, powerful statement there. And, and, and I think Paul is very intentional in the way he connects that idea of, of being dearly loved with being called to be God's holy people. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. You can't have the, the holy people of God without the deep, deep love of God abiding within. And that's not something that we manufacture ourselves. You know, that's not something that we, you know, spiritual discipline. Yes, we use spiritual disciplines so that we understand God's deep love better. But that is, that's a, a characteristic quality of God that allows us to be his holy people. And so we want to pay attention to that and, and see in our own story whether we understand the belovedness that we have as God's people. Yeah, and then I think that leads us to think about the belovedness in other people as we try to figure out how to welcome people in and who to welcome in and what to do with them when they we welcome them in and what degree of a variance are we willing to tolerate and what degree of mess you'd made the point that when we were reading through the passage to say that the, to say that the barbarians were equal to the Greeks was a huge insult to the Greeks. So I'm sure there was a very real part of that Greek community that thought, I don't want these people to be a part of me. I don't want these people to be the same as me. And I think as we think about sharing our faith, as we think about expanding Christ's community, that there's very real work to do in, in figuring out who don't we really want to be a part of us and where is God working in our hearts with that? How do we deal with the, the messy nonlinear growth of people? How do we deal with people who say, they have, they've been touched by our ministry, but don't change their behaviors or are still stuck in, in systems that, that keep them trapped in whatever sin, um, or addiction or, or trouble that they're in to begin with. And, and that's hard work because we have 
boundaries and definition and, and a center holding us together on one side, but we have to figure out how far from, from those norms, from those things that are essential, can we tolerate before it all starts to fall apart? And those aren't easy questions. I mean, that's what the church has been trying to define for itself since its inception, you know, since the day the tomb was empty, we've been trying to say where, where are the non-negotiables, where, where can we clearly draw the line and say, you're not, you're not with us. And, and where is God challenging us to say, mm, the things you're worried about aren't the things I'm worried about. And so this says more about you than it says about them. Yeah, I think that goes very much into what I was saying about identity then, because when we look at behaviors, you know, we, we go, oh, that that person has much different behaviors, and, yeah. and, and I don't know what to do with that. But if we view people as fundamentally broken in their identity, just as we are fundamentally broken, then we become part of the same unit. Kind of what I was saying, there's no us and them in the gospel. Yeah. there There are people who understand that they are broken and people who have not yet understood who don't yet understand that they are broken, but we're all in the same boat. And so I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, in, in my last call, we used to do a once a month meal at the, the rescue mission for men. Mm-hmm. And one of the women who would go down and do that regularly, uh, enjoyed doing it, but she admitted she had trouble actually interacting with the residents of the mission and it is funny because we do put those barriers up and and Paul is speaking very directly there saying, but they are the same. They are called to be holy just as we are called to be holy. They are in just as much in need of the gospel as we are in need of the gospel. And we before the gospel, uh, uh, not chronologically, but, it, you know, standing in front of the gospel, we hold the same value. Our, our, our lives, the price of our lives was fixed at the cross, and it is no different whether we, like Paul says, we are slave or free, Jew or Greek, uh, whatever, or Greek or non-Greek, or barbarian, as he said, whether we are middle-class affluent or whether we are in the rescue mission, just trying to figure out where our next meal is coming from, that in front of the gospel, we are, we are the same right there. And so, you know, I think that allows us to navigate some of that, but we have to ask, you know, what is our tolerance for, like you said, tolerance for variation? What's our tolerance for, for, uh, thought and how do we, how do we overcome that? And I think it starts with realizing that need for the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And we do certainly have warnings from Jesus that a little yeast will ruin the whole batch and, and we have other places where we're told to guard our hearts and and our minds and to to be careful what we expose ourselves to and yet we also have this mandate to share the gospel and to be a part of the world and to be Christ's examples and so it's hard work it's hard to discern and then and then we have our own stuff in the midst of it we started by saying who's the hero of your story and so in the midst of this we have to be really careful about how how we tell our stories and how how we can be authentic 
and yet not just pour all of our brokenness on the table for someone else to deal with how we can share from from the places where we have healed and processed through even if it means holding back a little bit on the things that we're still working through for ourselves and and I don't think that those things are counter to authenticity I think they're a healthy way of of helping my life shape yours helping my life guide yours towards Jesus without throwing all my junk on top of yours for you to to deal with if that makes sense <laughs> yes yeah I think I think it does because we we very much I think everyone has experienced it you know we live in an era of oversharing and sometimes mm-hmm. and we know those people who are dealing with hard things and turns everyone around them into a therapist because they just kind of dump their stuff on on everyone and again we're not the the sharing of the gospel is not meant to be that it's meant to be freeing mm-hmm. it's meant to be it's meant to be this is what my life has been this is the way that God has worked in it. I give thanks to God for that. And it's an example that it can work for you too, because I was once lost, but now I'm found. Yeah. And I believe that if God can meet me in my brokenness, if God can meet me in, in my understanding of how fundamentally flawed I felt and turn that into something to his glory and, and give me life and purpose then that is absolutely possible for you as well. Um, again, encouraging people instead of instead of uh, you know trying to help, trying to make them help you sort that out for yourself. Yeah, and I think those are the when we when we see that done in a healthy way, that's what gives glory to God. When we say, "I don't know how I made it through this, except for the work of Christ in my life." Then it, again, it turns the attention onto what Christ is doing and not what we're doing. Because I don't know about you, but I mess it up all the time. So I don't know <laughs> that anyone should follow my example ever. Um, but but certainly I want people to see that the way that Christ has worked in my life and that has allowed me to do what I do and, and to thrive where I'm thriving. and And that's what gives me hope for the places where... I am still messing it up on the regular. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it can't overstate how much that, that this can be helpful to the church and how poor we actually are at talking about that. We've had people who have weaponized, you know, people's stories who have broken that trust, who have betrayed, uh, people who, who thought they were, had things held in confidence. Um, it's dangerous work. Absolutely. And we need to recognize that. And that's why we need to be all the more careful and we need to be a community of integrity. Mm-hmm. We need to be a, a community that is, that is founded on the, on the, on the truth of the gospel and values truth and values people in a way that, that the world just, you know, the world has turned us each into a, a, a product you yeah. know, it, it's, it, I, I, some, um, 
people who analyze social media trends and so on and so forth have, have identified this, that no longer are, are companies trying to sell us a product. We are the product. They're trying to shape us and package us in different ways. And, and so we have been commodified. And as Christians, you know, we are not products. We are, you know, living beings dearly loved created in the image of god yes and that alone is enough in god's economy you know we we don't need to be um you know we don't need to be to uh have the best job or we don't need to have achieved some certain thing in order to have value but because of our relationship with the father we are valued no matter what yeah and i think to go back to another theme that has been running through our sermons lately in the podcast, to be in community with others who also feel that, that call. I think one of the most powerful things we can express to other people is, is you're not alone. You're not the first person to struggle with this. You're not the only one to be sad about that. You're not the only one to wonder where in the world God is in the midst of that. And, and that's part of, to me, that's part of integrity to not just pretend, oh, because I have faith, everything is okay and and nothing is a question mark anymore. That's a part of being authentic is to say, on this side of heaven, I still don't fully get it. I still don't completely understand and I still have questions and I still have work to do. And so it's okay if you still have work to do too. And Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Yeah, which the older I get, the more I love that passage because the more life seems to throw that I think, I don't know, God, I'm sure you're in there. I'm sure you're in the midst of this, but I'm having a hard time seeing it. So help me out here. Meet me. Help me figure this out. Help me make sense of it or help me be okay with just not being able to make sense of it in this time. And and maybe down the road, it will make more sense and maybe it never will help me be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So many different directions we could have gone with this passage. Yeah. You know, this is just one of the, this is just one of the, 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 uh, the paths that, that we could have gone down. I'm sure there are plenty of questions remaining yeah. and we, and we would certainly be glad to hear if you have a question. Um, but, uh, or, do you have any final thoughts there, Pastor Dina? No, other than, you know, I leave the children's time every week with kind of a challenge to them. And so I guess my challenge to our listeners this week is to share a part of your story with someone, anyone. Share, if if you're not comfortable going deep yet, find something you are comfortable sharing sharing about and just take that first step and see how it feels. And if it feels weird and strange, stay there and do it a couple times. If it feels good, go deeper but find those relationships, find those people, probably some of whom you're sitting across the dinner table with every night. You don't have to look outside and identify some poor cashier that, that just wants to wring out your milk and your bread. <laughs> that, you know, that, that the people already in your life. Sensitivity. <laughs> yeah. The people already in your life are a great place to start. And so model that, model that for your family members, model that for your kids and, 
I think, I think it's steps like that that are going to change the world. I think that when we, when the church starts to be more authentic, when we start to have integrity in our relationships, when we own all of the, the messiness of this Christian life, that that, that is what, what is going to shape the world to come. Good word. Good word. And then tell us about it. Yes, please do. We we would love to hear some good stories, even if they have some humorous parts. I mean, yeah. especially if they have some humorous parts to yeah. it. We will laugh with you. Um, yeah. Come come to the office. Tell us. We'll take you out for ice cream. We'll take you out for coffee. We'll yes. Dinner, lunch, meals, food. We, we're highly motivated by food. So That's right. That's right. And, and share your story with us and let us share more of our stories with you so that that we can change the world. Yeah. Well, if you have found this episode helpful, um, if you found the sermons or, or anything on this helpful, would you do us a favor and please leave a rating and review uh, wherever you are getting your podcasts um, and then uh, share it with others so they can discover it more easily. I say this every week, but it's true that uh, podcasts get discovered by the more um likes and comments and shares that they have because it means people are engaging with it and algorithms have been programmed in order to raise those up in the um in the the rankings and discoverability uh and also just click that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast so that whenever we drop a new one if it's on a tuesday or on a (laughs) thursday that you are able to pick up on it we really appreciate it we we enjoy doing this and we really hope that you do too yeah um uh, well, not that you do the podcast, but we hope you enjoy but the you content. But you can. You yeah. can come in. Absolutely. Um, but until next time, we really do hope this helps you connect Sunday to the weekday. We'll see you next time. Bye.